Good morning, Saints of Valley Church. It's a powerful morning already, isn't it? Whew. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, just, uh, yeah, that was uh, an extremely powerful presence that we were able to just was soak in. And I hope that you thoroughly enjoyed that soaking. Yeah? Can I hear some amens for that? Yes. Amen. It's like, for someone that happens to be here the first time, it's like, what in the world is going on? There's a bunch of quiet right here. It's like, man, when the presence of God settles in a strong and a powerful way, He can do more in seconds than I can preach in hours. So, we just enjoy, we love that presence that just settles in so strong, so powerfully, and so sweet, sweet, sweet. That's what we just got to experience. Everybody just say more. More, Lord. More, Lord. Father, I just thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your incredible presence, your Holy Spirit that's right here with us, among us, in us, and through us. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We love you. We value your presence. We thank you so much for all that you do, for every blessing that we get, that we receive. Thank you for another day. Thank you for the breath in my lungs. Thank you for the people that you've gathered here today together to come and share and worship you, to praise your holy name, and to receive what you have for us. And I say, have your way. In Jesus' name. Together? Amen. Amen. I, I, you know, as I was thinking and thinking about, about this, I've studied and studied for this. I, you know, I go for a week without, without preaching, at least for a, plenty of study time, and, and I was trying to, trying to hear really clearly what the title of my message changed three times now. <laughs> and now... It was going to be guard your heart. It was going to be first, and I have pages of research on the heart, on our heart, and, and guarding our heart, and watching our heart, and peace of mind and heart. And, and, but the title of my message this morning is, you know, in the game of baseball, and so many times the, the, the quote that we've heard so often, three strikes and you're out, right? Title of this morning's message, Three strikes, you're up again. <laughs> Three strikes, you're up again. It's like, it, it's because, you know, I, I've come to realize, especially for myself in my own life, I learned the most from my failures, from my strikeouts, from my mess-ups. That's where God is able then to correct and teach and then I will turn from, repent from, and do something different until I run my head into the wall again and we start over. Strike one, strike two, strike three, you're up again. I feel like the, that's why this morning I want to do a little, a little study, I want to walk through some series of events in the life of Peter and then touch a little bit on Doubting Thomas. 
Everybody loves Peter, right? The amazing Peter. The impetuous Peter. The impulsive Peter. One of the three that was absolutely closest to Jesus. That's why I think it's such, such an amazing character to, to study and see what he did and how he did it and how he recovered time after time after time to become what he became. How many knows that God has a plan and a purpose for each one of us? And that he's willing to be a patient, loving Father God to walk through all of the goofy, silly, even dumb mistakes that we make because he knows what he created us for and who he created us to be. How many also know that when we look through the eyes of Jesus, that's how we're supposed to see one another. It's like with the potential, with the, as we, we call it, pulling out the gold, pulling out the gold, digging for gold when we're, when we're looking at, at people. You know, it, it, it's really easy, and I, and I think of, when I think of my life as a younger man, boy, adolescent, how competitive I was, and how I would then look for weaknesses in other people to be able to expose those weaknesses to make me feel so much better about myself. You know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one? It's like, it's like, yeah, yeah, oh, you think he's so great? Well, yeah, you don't know. It's like, but no, 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 anybody can figure that out. That's really obvious. Bible says, God says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the key is repenting, turning from, and continuing to follow what he has for us. Recognizing that he is our creator. He has a plan and a purpose for our life. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's got a plan and purpose for your life. I hear that echo, your life, your life, your life, your life. <laughs> Does everybody believe that? Yeah. I, I'm going to get into some, some word here in just a little bit, but I, I was thinking, as I was processing all this early, early this morning, I, I was thinking that, you know, uh, something that I think of is like first-level faith. One of the things that we're going to discover, we're going to talk about in, in, in Peter is having his first-level faith. What I think of first-level faith is we're all given a measure of faith. Without a measure of faith, we would never believe in Jesus. First-level faith is, is believing that Jesus is the Son of God and that God created the world Gave his son for our sin. That's first level faith. Lots and lots of people have first level faith. They're ready to believe. Now, when we dig in more into Peter, I'm thinking that first level faith is when your faith in God is aligned with your perspective of what you believe should happen and or your desires. 
Does it make sense? First level faith. I believe there's a God. I believe in God. I believe in his son, Jesus Christ. And my faith in him is to the extent of him being someone who can help me accomplish what I believe I need to accomplish or what I want in my life. Does this make sense? Everybody's tracking with me here. This, this, this makes sense. Well, when we step into, begin to understand that there is a call on our life, and that in Romans 8.28, it says, all things work together for my good, for our good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Right? So then when I put my faith there, believing that all things work together for my good, because I love him, and because I'm called to serve him according to his purpose, is when I can begin to align my faith with Romans 8, 28, that he is a God who created me for a purpose, is raising me up for me to accomplish that purpose, and believe that everything that I'm going through is something that is training me up, raising me up, building my character, building my faith, so I can accomplish all that he's called me to do. Does that make sense yet? Yeah. Okay. Peter is someone who went from impulsive to intentional. And I think for, for, for us, when, when we're calling on God impulsively to help us accomplish what we think we need, what we think, what we feel, what we believe, rather than intentionally operating in faith, in knowing, understanding, and believing that all things work together for my good according to the purpose that he has for me. Okay. Let's talk some about how Peter got built. In uh, Matthew 14, 24 through 31, this is some of the some of the times and some of the places, I mean, to go back and study the entire life of Peter, it's like, you know, not likely to happen on one Sunday morning, but the boat, the boat. They were, the, the, the disciples were on a boat. They were headed back. P, G, Jesus loaded them up on the boat, sent them back across. Well, as they were coming back across, ended up encountering some pretty rough weather out there. And they looked from the boat, and they saw Jesus walking on the water. Let's, I guess we could be reading right here. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. 
And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost? And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to him, saying, Be of good cheer, it's I. Do not be afraid. And Peter, everybody said, Peter. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. So he, Jesus, said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him, and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So he reached out his hand, saved him. But I was thinking, okay, Peter is being built here. He saw Jesus, said, if that you, if that's really you, call to me. I want to I jump out of this boat and I want to come to you. You're walking on water. I can walk on water. The presence of God, him seeing Jesus, the presence of God through Jesus, uh, he was ready to jump out. He's ready to jump out and join. But as soon as he functioned in that bold faith to jump out of the boat, he began to realize the circumstances around him, the wind, the waves, and the water. And his common sense and the circumstances said, I can't deal with this. So he kind of bailed. He called for Jesus. Jesus helped him, put him back in the boat and says, oh, your faith, your little faith. So Peter, very impulsive, like, I want to be close to Jesus. I'm interested in his presence. I want to be right there with him. I'm going to walk on that water to get to him until circumstances overwhelmed him. How many of us have been there before? It's like, yes, I have the faith. Yes, yes, yes. But you didn't see. Like, whoa, this is not very reasonable. I remember my, we used to do a lot of things together as family. My mom, we were floating the Boise River many, many, many years ago. I was a teenager, so it was like over 30 years ago. And uh, <laughs> so we were floating the Boise River, and, and I wasn't there. I, like, I had gotten way ahead, but... Those little waterfall things that go over, drop off. My mom went over one of those, and it tipped her inner tube over backwards, and then she thought she was drowning. My dad had to end up going over and grabbing her and pulling her out of the water, paddle his, pull her out. And, and my little sister was there, and uh, she was telling the neighbor, and I was sitting there listening to the story, and as my little sister was sharing the details of this in... in uh, the lady's name was Fran. Fran says to my little sister, well, can't your mother swim? And she said, yeah, but that was over her head. <laughs> Sometimes it's like, yeah, but it was over my head. You know, it's like those circumstances, yes, but, but, but. The buts that we use when we have come to realize how these circumstances seem just altogether too big. The children of Israel, the spies that went out and saw themselves as grasshoppers in the sight of... It's like sometimes it's how we see ourselves, how strong our faith is in him. What do we really believe he can do for us? Amen. So Peter's like, man, 
Uh, Aunt Betty used to sing a song. I think she wrote, wrote a song that says, Don't criticize Peter till you've walked on the water. It's like, you know, it's like, yeah, how many of us would even jump out of the boat? But jumping out of the boat and, and then the experience of the circumstances. It appears to be hopeless, so we can end up bailing on Jesus because of the hopelessness in our mind from the situation, our circumstances. Okay, <laughs> as we move on, let's go to uh, Matthew 16. Verses 15 through 19. Now, there's been some experiences. Jesus has walked with his disciples, but this one again is, is about Peter. And he's experienced having to pull Peter in the boat just a couple chapters before. And Jesus begins to ask the disciples, who, who do men say that I am? And the response was, here's what some say, but well, who do you say I am? And Peter jumped up and answered, said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. It's like, And also I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's like, well, this is the guy that just not very long ago he was saying, oh, you have little faith, Peter. But as he is allowing Peter to make the mistakes and build and develop his character, what Jesus sees in Peter is the revelation knowledge that Peter has been given by the Holy Spirit and someone that is willing to take chances to jump and do instead of just think and talk. Are you with me? It's like Jesus wasn't just looking for people from Pharisee U, the Pharisee University, or, or, or the school of the prophets, he wanted to find men who could get the job done. Some doers, not just thinkers and talkers, but some doers. It's pretty amazing to think about, isn't it? So he's picking Peter, this guy, and he makes this prophetic declaration that you are Peter, and on this rock, the revelation that you have, the spiritual revelation that you have, I'm going to build my church. Peter, you're the rock. It's like, wow, pretty amazing for Peter to hear that and to end up thinking about that. Then let's move to Luke 9.33. Now, this is the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus chose the men closest to him that he felt that he could trust. Peter, one who's being built up, <laughs> having his character built, being built in the spirit, but also built in character to be able to carry the weight that was going to be placed on him. Are you with me? Okay. So... 
they are up there on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they've seen this incredible sight where Moses and Elijah have, have come, and they're just like, they're completely blown away by, by what they've seen here. And, and, and Peter, the first thing that, that, that comes out of his mouth, and he says, I'm sure, okay. Then it happened as they parted from him that they, Elijah, Moses, um, then it happened as they were parting from here that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's a, it is good for us to be here and to now let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not even really knowing what he said. It's like, see, Peter again was so excited, so excited to be with Jesus, to see something so incredible, so amazing to be included in that. He said, now we need to make tabernacles right here for each and and, and jesus said oh, no 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 in fact i don't even want you to tell anybody about this until after i have passed away but see it was peter's zeal and enthusiasm to do what jesus wanted to be in the presence of jesus that was driving him he said some goofy things he did some goofy things but he was burning with desire to do and accomplish what Jesus had for him to do, but was relegated to his own understanding of what that really would look like and what that would be. You're with me still? Making sense? Okay. So I, 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 relay, I, I compare this to, you know, to our lives as we go through our lives and realizing our identity in Christ, who he's called us to be, what he's called us to be, but how we will relate it to our experience and the things that we know. It's like we pretty much all have a default mode. You know, like on your phone, when you want to change all of the settings back, you, just, you can hit the default mode and go back to everything where you were, what you used to be because of what you knew, what you understand, what you became familiar with on your phone. It's like, let, let, hit, let's go default. It's like, when we end up getting into situations where we have not yet had a transformed mind, a renewed and transformed mind, it's so easy for us just to go back to what we knew before, what we understood, and the way we did it before. Okay, Matthew twenty six thirty three. I'm going to read. Okay. Jesus was, yeah, you know, I, I'm trying to figure out what, just what to read, but Jesus was talking to his, his disciples and letting them know what's coming up, what's going to happen, and, you know, this, I, I, he's letting them know that you know, he's going to be taken, he's going to be crucified, he's going to, the things are going to happen. They never, you know, none of them really fully understood this because their expectation, particularly Peter's expectation was, Jesus, I've seen you do the miracles. I've seen you do amazing things. I know that you and me 
can accomplish anything, Jesus. This was, was Peter's thinking. But it was, we can accomplish what I believe should be accomplished and what this should look like. Jesus had the understanding, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray this way. Father has, his father created him, gave him a mission on earth. All that he did was intentional as his face was pointed towards heaven. He was living for, a, living for the accomplishment, toward the accomplishment of what he was there to do. And that was, as it is in heaven, let it be on earth. To destroy the works of the devil, take the power away from the devil. So Jesus is describing and he's explaining to him, this is what's going to happen. Then Peter jumps up and says in, in uh, 2634, 2633, come on, Lynn. But after I've been, Jesus talking about, being crucified and, and, and dying, and but after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered and said, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, Jesus, I will never be made to stumble. 26.33, I will never be made to stumble. That's a pretty bold statement that Jesus is making right there, a declaration about himself. I won't stumble. Everyone else might be made to stumble, but I surely won't. Then Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, Peter, that this night before the rooster crows, you, Peter, will deny me three times. And Peter says back to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Peter rallied them up and they all said the same thing. You know, we will not, we will not, we will not. Then, as we move forward in this, like 2640, Jesus came to the back to the disciples, and he said, <clears throat> he found Peter asleep. He had taken him up there on, on, uh, ready for him, ready to, they were just about ready for Jesus to be seized, taken away, and Jesus was, was mourning, and he was praying, and he was, God, if there's any way, if you could take, let this cup pass from me, but if there is no way, your will not mine be done. That's something that we so need to get into our hearts, into our spirits. God, your will, not my will, be done. Your will, not my will, be done. It's not, my life is about what you've created me for. My life is about who you've called me to be. And I want your will done, not mine, not mine. So Jesus, was, he went to, went to the three disciples that he had, and he said, can you... Just stay awake and pray with me. He wasn't right in the middle of him. He separated himself just a little bit so he could really call on the Father, agonizing to the Father. And, and, and then he came back and the guys were asleep again. And he said, oh, oh, oh. He came to the disciples, found him asleep and said to Peter, 
What could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Everybody say with me, the flesh is weak. It's like the spirit is willing, but another one of those things that Peter struggled with, but I'm really tired, I need some sleep. If we have a battle of something coming up, I need to be rested up here. So, but I'm tired, Lord, but I'm tired. I can't stay awake and pray for an hour with you. I'm tired, I'm tired. I'd like to, but I'm too stinking tired. Anybody ever feel that way? Oh, man. I want to pray, I want to pray, but, oh, man, I had a long day today. And we lay down, and we end up falling asleep, starting to pray, but kind of forget that prayer. It's like, again, Peter fell asleep, sleeping on the job. 2651. Now, impulsive Peter, 2651. They have come after Jesus. Judas has betrayed him. He's come. He's given him the kiss, and they're ready to take Jesus away. 26.51. And suddenly, one of those who were with Jesus, which was Peter. We look in, in, in one of the other Gospels. It was Peter. Say, Peter stretched out his hand, drew his sword, drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest, and cut off his ear. Peter was ready for battle. He figured with Jesus in his back pocket, Jesus had his back, he boldly, impulsively did what he knew to do. We're ready to go to battle. Here we go. Game on. Battle has begun. Pulls off his sword. Whack! Chops at the first guy, and then he's looking for to see Jesus as the backup, like, here we go. I know we can accomplish this, Jesus. But it's like... No, wrong again, Peter. You're acting impulsively back to, like, default. Default. Because his thought process is Jesus' kingdom was going to be established, and he was going to have to take it by force, and he's ready to get it started. We need get it started, people. Okay, now what happens? Is shortly thereafter, chapter 26, verse 75. They've taken Jesus away, and Peter has three times, if you read. Some of the previous verses, three times, three times Jesus has, or Peter has denied Jesus. Verse 75, and Peter remembered the words of Jesus after the rooster crowed the second time. He said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Then Peter went and wept bitterly. It's like, oh, I'm a failure, I'm a failure, I'm a failure, I'm a complete failure. Let's just count my failures, one after another, after another, after another. But Jesus says, you're up to bat again, Peter. After he came out of, 
he was crucified, he was buried in the tomb for three days, he resurrected, he came out of the tomb, there was an angel sitting at the tomb, this angel in Mark 16, 5 through 7, just, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, obviously an angel, they were alarmed. But he said to them, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples, tell his disciples and Peter. Everybody say, and Peter. Jesus didn't forget about Peter. He has declared that on this rock, I'll build my church. I see your failures, but I know your strengths. I know who you are. I know what you carry. And I know what my plans for your future are. And all you have to do is walk in them. Amen. Tell the disciples and tell Peter that he is going before you, Jesus is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. It's like, isn't that incredible that Jesus sees and knows all of the mistakes that Peter has made, but he has spoken into Peter's life a prophetic word. How many of you have received a prophetic word? There's a lot of prophecy that goes around this, this, this place. It's like, all Peter has to do is just be faithful, be diligent, be obedient, and lean into the word that was spoken over him, rather than listen to the voice of the enemy saying, you've messed up so many times, how could you possibly think that the call on your life is that you will be the one that establishes the New Testament church? Can you imagine that? Is everybody with me? I just feel like this is so significant, so significant. It's like, tell the disciples to show up and Peter. It's like, because Peter has probably excluded himself as one of the disciples and needs to hear, you're one, be there, show up, Peter. Okay, you're with me. Now, something that, yeah, we're, we're, we're moving into the day of Pentecost here, and I'm going to have to hurry it up just a little bit, but John 20, 26 through 29, where Jesus has come first night after his resurrection, he came and he met with the guys, with the disciples, only Thomas was not there for the first meeting, but he showed up into the, for this meeting. He steps in there. The doors are all closed. The doors are locked. They're there. They're up there in that room, fearful of the Jews finding them. Uh, and so through closed doors, all of a sudden, Jesus is right there in their midst. And he says, peace be unto you. you know, hey, don't be afraid, guys. Peace, peace, peace. Obviously, they're terrified and... and but he lets them know that I'm alive, I am well, I am resurrected. It is true. You now have seen me, not just the women that came, came first. You've seen me, guys. I'm real. I'm alive. 
and I want you guys to do amazing things. I'm giving it a real short version here. Okay, but Thomas was not there. So the guys trying to tell him, the rest of the disciples, they're trying to tell Thomas about this, and he doesn't believe it for a second. That would be a little hard to believe, right? So Thomas is not believing. So this is where we're pick up. This is visit number two to the same group of guys plus Thomas. And that is verse 2027. Then in his appearing, I'm going to I'm going to back up just a little bit. This is important right here. Bear with me. Twenty twenty six. here. John 20 verse 26. The disciples have met. Jesus came, had spent time with them. They have met again. But it says, and after eight days, his disciples were again inside. Thomas was with them. Jesus came, doors being shut, stood in their midst, and said, Peace to you. This eight days, I've read this many, 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 many times, but I never, the eight days had never really stood out to me before. It's like, what does eight days mean? So I, I researched, spent some time on eight days, because as soon as I read it this time, I thought, eight days, that's when the little Jewish boy is circumcised, eighth day. Eighth day. It's like, I better study this a little bit. And so I came to realize that eight days, the, the number eight, is the new beginnings. It's the start of, it's the new beginnings number. It's like, you know, the old is past. It's like six days of creation, one day of rest. Seventh, now eighth day is the new beginning. It's like, Oh, wow, wow, wow. Circumcision. Then when we study circumcision a little bit, Paul talks about circumcision of the heart. It's like a hardened heart keeps us from believing. So the circumcised heart, new beginning. And then I, I throw in with this circumcised heart, new beginning, eighth day, Jesus came this time, and he said, Thomas, Thomas, 
Reach your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach your hand here. Put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but be believing. It's like this new start. John 14, 21 talks about Jesus says, Those who keep my commandments are those who love me. My Father will love them. I will love them. And I will manifest myself to them. I believe this was a new beginning of manifest presence where the resurrected Jesus presented himself so that they could actually feel him, could touch him, could feel him. And he became very, very real and easy to believe in. I really feel like that that presence that we're talking about, that manifest presence is something that he's promised for us even today, that when we believe and when we trust in him and when we just ask, we get to experience, we get that touch where we get to feel the presence of Jesus. Are you with me? Yes. His manifest presence, new beginning, day eight, to create within them a strong belief system. Now, at Luke 24:49 says, where Jesus has given them instruction, he said, "Go, you know, John baptized with water." you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, John 14, 26, he's going to teach you all things. John 16, 13, he will guide you into all truth. John 14, 17, he will be, he has been with you, he will be in you. Luke 24, 49 says, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be endued with power from on high. When Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be endued with power from on high. His presence, His presence, His presence. He has been with us. He will be in us. We will be endued with power when that Holy Spirit has come upon us. Acts 1.5 says, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And verse 8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. Then as... We move into second chapter. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound of heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
Disciples are there. They're ready. One mind, one accord. They're praying together. They're sitting in this upper room. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and they were confused because everyone heard them speaking in in their own language. They were amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are these all not Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of them in our own language, the language that we were born with? And they were from all of these different nations. And then they were amazed and perplexed, down to verse 12, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others were mocking. Oh, they're just full of new wine. They're drunk. But Peter standing up with the eleven. Yes, Peter. Everybody say, Peter. Peter's comeback right here. Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to him, Men of Judea, all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. These are not drunk, as you suppose. This is only the third hour of the day. This is what the prophet Joel has spoken. It'll come to pass in the last days, says God. I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. My, and on my maidservants, my men servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above. So Peter preached this amazing, incredible message. He came down from the upper room filled with the Holy Spirit, led in all truth, (laughs) guided in all truth, being taught by Holy Spirit in one encounter plus everything that Jesus had poured into him as his character had been built to this time. But what Peter needed to get it over the top to establish this New Testament church was to be filled with the Holy Spirit, endued with power from on high, filled with the Holy Spirit, so there would be no more of those mess-ups, no more banging his head against the wall, saying and doing stupid things, where his motivations, his (laughs) impulses, would now be intentional as he was bringing heaven to earth. So, <clears throat> again, those things that were, that, were, that were Jesus had prophesied that Holy Spirit will come. Things are going to get better, Peter. You don't understand this yet, but things are going to be even better after I'm gone. Because the Holy Spirit will come upon you, be in you. You'll never be alone now. Peter received that. He came down. He spoke that. And the message that he spoke, the men came, responded by, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What do we do to get what you have? 
And Peter said to him, Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is to you, to your children, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. As many as the Lord our God will call, all things work together for our good, for those who love God, called according to his purpose. How many of us are called according to his purpose? Let's stand together. I'll ask the prayer team to come up. If you have a need for prayer in your life, if there's any kind of a need that you have in your life, I would encourage you, you know, come. The presence of God is here. He's been here in a powerful way this morning. He continues to be here in a powerful way. And his desire is to fill you with his Holy Spirit. If you've never been, I say come and be filled. Come to the well. Come to the well. Come to the well. Father, we just thank you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the power that we've experienced in you this day. I thank you for every promise that you've put in your word. And that we know that all things work together for our good. We call upon your name this morning saying, touch us, fill us, lead us guide us, direct us, empower us with your Holy Spirit. Our goal and desire is to serve you as we're filled with your Spirit, endued and empowered by that precious Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.